hey guys, I want to receive our tithes and offerings, and I just want to thank you so much for your faithful giving. And I mean, it's an unusual time for all of us. I know that we haven't taken a building fund offering, and so as the Lord would lead you over and above your tithes to give to building fund, please, please take liberty to do that. I want to share out of Proverbs chapter 3, and I know I've said this many, many times, but it's a truth that I believe bears repeating. If Jesus is seen in every book of the Bible, then in Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. And in Proverbs 3, verse 3, it says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make, your, he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your bounds, barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Other versions will even say new wine, and there are two meanings of wine or new wine in Scripture. One speaks of a literal wine, and the other speaks of a supernatural wine. And as I understand wisdom, and as I understand supernatural blessing, I am going to honor the Lord with my wealth and with the first fruits of all that come in to my hand. Scripture says we give to God out of all our increase. And so I just want to pray over God's tithes, your offerings over and above those tithes. We call it God's tithe because it's his, it's holy, it belongs to him, and there are offerings over and above that tithe, but the tithe is God's and it's holy. I just want to pray over it this Easter Sunday. Father, thank you that we can trust you maybe more than ever today with all that's going on with tithes and, and offerings. And God, I just ask that you would so lead your people to be givers in the worst of times so that they can be blessed in the best of times. Father, let us not quickly forget this period that we're going through. It is growing us. It is stretching us. It is causing us to draw closer and nearer to you than we've ever before. We're trusting you like maybe we've never had to before. We're hearing from you like maybe we've never heard from you before. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. And as awkward as this Easter Sunday is, oh, how I would love to be gathered with the saints today, oh God. Father, it is an Easter Sunday that we will not soon forget and that all of the lessons learned this Easter Sunday will be more powerful than any that we've ever learned leading up to this Easter Father, thank you for the truths that we're gleaning. Father, thank you for the way that you're leading us in paths of righteousness. For your namesake, you're leading us, Father God. And more than ever, Father, we're discovering how once again to be led. Father, thank you for the work you're doing in every home and every marriage. Father, thank you that you are healing. You're forcing people to deal with the issues that they've been ignoring, Father, so that they can know each other and you more on a level like they never have. Father, use these monies, change lives with them all over the world. From Ionia to Israel, change hearts, change lives, we ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you in your giving. Last Sunday, we looked at the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. 
This Sunday, I want to look at the Gospels of Luke and John. And what a contrast in these two individuals. You have one who is given to detail, and he is consumed with accurately giving the detail surrounding Jesus' life. You have another who's a lover of God. He was the only disciple that was at the foot of the cross. He was the only disciple that died of natural causes. He was the one that is always depicted leaning on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. You could not have two more contrasting figures than Luke and John, and yet God uses them both. It's like a, a marriage that... that um, two completely different people, but together they're a team if they found how to work together as a team. And Luke and John provide us insights that uh, from two completely different perspectives, but they're both inspired and used by God nonetheless, and that should be encouraging to you. You don't have to be like everybody else. Don't compare yourself to everybody else. And let these two gospel writers inspire us today on another level. Amen? Luke 24, if you've got your Bibles. Luke 24. Look at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. Rise. Then they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Dr. Luke leaves no stone unturned in his account. Details matter to the good doctor. And aren't you grateful that they did because he has such a wonderful account written for us. Luke begins his gospel by stating in Luke 1.3 that it was a careful account, and you can be assured that it was. And that is only after having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. So it's in the details that we'll discover much about the resurrection. And so I'm going to highlight a few points from Luke's gospel, from John's gospel, and then I'm going to share some common truths that they all have that can even more so apply to us today than maybe you've even thought about regarding the resurrection. Look at Luke 24, 3 to see our first detail. It says, but they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Notice that it does not say when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus Luke emphasizes the Lord Jesus. Luke emphasizes that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. How powerful is that, that Luke uses that example again, given to detail. Luke saying Jesus is Lord because he's risen from the dead. How significant. Look at verse 5. 
one of my favorites. I've preached many messages on this. The angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? I couldn't help but think this morning how the resurrection took place in, in power. And in 2 Timothy 3, 5, I believe it is, Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, there'll be those that hold to a form of godliness and deny its power. You know what's going to separate the religious from those that are walking in a righteous relationship with God? It's going to be power. It's going to be the difference between holding to a form of godliness, could I even dare say, holding to traditions, holding to a religious order, holding to a religious form, though pious and godly in appearance, lacking power. And if we as modern day believers are anything, and I'm getting way ahead of myself in this message, we are going to be a people that are going to live by resurrection power. There should be something about the power of the resurrection that is still taking place in and through our lives. So we as a people of God living today in the 21st century should not be seeking the living among the dead either. Why are you going to dead places looking for life-giving power that only God could give? Why? Why would you? And I love that question only recorded in Luke's gospel. Why would you, could I say today, seek the living among the dead? So many go to dead places looking for life. You'll not find it there. And yet many will still go there. You want to know why? Because it's so much easier for us to believe in that which we can see as opposed to believing in that which we cannot see. But everything screams on the inside of the life of the believer that this is where life is found. This is where life is found. Isn't it amazing how much life stems from an empty tomb? How powerful is that as we look at the resurrection today? Another truth that I want to bring out is Luke 24, verse 39. I can remember when I first discovered this scripture. Luke 24, 39 See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I'm so glad Luke recorded this. Jesus wasn't a ghost. He had flesh. It was a resurrected flesh, a flesh like you and I will one day come to have because the flesh that we have can inhabit heaven. And Jesus challenged them, touch me, I'm not a ghost. How powerful it must have been for them to realize, wait a minute, all the windows were locked, all the doors were locked, yet here he is in our midst. I said last week that Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away because he, he could be there right now, even if the windows were shut and the doors were locked, he could be there. The empty tomb, the stone being rolled away was for the women that came to the tomb. It was for you and I today. Jesus didn't need it rolled away. He wasn't bound anymore. But it was a flesh nonetheless. And for everyone that would say the resurrected Christ was a ghost or was a spirit, I would tell them to go to Luke 24, 39 as proof and as evidence that Jesus was not a ghost, that he was not a spirit. In fact, he ate with them. And so... I'm so grateful for Luke's 
for Luke's recording that. Others imply it, but Luke, being the good doctor that he was, he clearly states it. And I just love it when people just come out with it and they just state the truth. Just clearly state the truth. Luke did. So grateful for it. Go to John's Gospel. John 20. I love John's Gospel. Not because he's my namesake, but man, John wrote with feeling. He, 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 he loved Jesus so much. And so in John's gospel, you're going to note that he records things that the other gospels don't because he was such a lover of God. Look at John 20. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. I just, I want to just stop. The gospels will not mention all the same women at the same time. It doesn't mean that they all weren't there. It just means that in an eyewitness account, it doesn't mean that they differ because not everybody's mentioned, and you'll, you'll see that in just about any eyewitness account. Not every single person is mentioned. One gospel mentions these women, and another mentions those. doesn't mean that the gospel account is any less accurate. The fact that these women were named by name says that it is, and it's one of the very truths that says that these accounts are accurate because women wouldn't have even have been mentioned in this day and in this age. And so don't get caught up in why, you know, this woman isn't mentioned there, but is there. And um, we know one thing. We know Mary Magdalene was a leader in this because she's mentioned consistently. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think it's funny that John had to record that he outran Peter, um, but it's still inspired. Isn't it amazing how God gives us the grace for our flesh to be used by him? And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John is the only gospel writer who mentions the grave clothes. And it's very, very significant that he does think with me. If Jesus' body had been taken, how odd that they would have stripped him and carried him off naked. It doesn't make any sense, does it? If Jesus' body had been taken, how odd that the thieves would have taken the time to neatly fold the grave clothes like John recorded. They would have just been consumed with getting Jesus' body out of there. They would not have taken the time to strip the body, to fold grave clothes. They would not have done that. John records it. And it's believed, because they are mentioned, that the sight of the neatly folded grave clothes are what caused John to believe in verse 8 of John 20. It's what caused him to believe. Out of the three early witnesses, 
John believed first. Mary Magdalene thought that someone had taken Jesus' body. Remember? Just please let me know where they laid him. I'll go get him. Peter didn't know what to think. But John, John believed. John was always the first to believe. The resurrected Christ appears on the shore when they're out fishing. John said, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat. When they were at the Last Supper, it was Peter who asked John to ask the Lord who it was that was going to betray him. John was the, the first to believe. John was at the foot of the cross. John was the only one to die of natural causes. I love John. He loved God so much. Loved God so much. Loved God so much. And out of all the people that the Lord could have entrusted the care of his mother to, who better than the one that loved him so much than John? Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And tradition records that John took Mary with him and cared for her all the days of his life. Maybe that's another reason why John lived into his 90s, tradition records, because he was responsible for Mary. Whatever reason, John stands out from among the rest. I also think it's powerful that John records Mary's encounter. Look at verse 11 in John 20 with me. I think that this is a significant account, and it's quite powerful if if you get this. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. It's just something about when the Lord speaks your name, isn't it? Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples that I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. It's significant that Jesus wouldn't let Mary cling to him, but he challenged the disciples, doubting Thomas, put your hands in my nail prints, your, your, hand, your fingers in my nail prints, your hand in my side, but he wouldn't let Mary. It's believed that Jesus was mid-route going and taking his blood and applying it in the mercy seat in heaven. Remember, he was not bound. He could just be there. And so he was taking his blood, going to apply it in the mercy seat in heaven, but he could not resist Mary. She loved him so much too. He could not resist Mary. Scripture says, to whom is forgiven much, loves much. I believe that there are those that have a profound love for God because of all that they've been forgiven and they know that they've been forgiven and they know that they've been cleansed. John records another lover of Jesus, Mary. And I love the fact that Jesus was mid-route. He was gonna take his blood, apply it in the mercy seat, but he could not resist Mary because she loved him so much he just had to have a moment with her. I'm gonna tell you, the more you love God, the more moments you'll have with God. 
The more that you love God, you'll find yourself going from a Martha who's busy doing things that we maybe should be doing because Jesus is present. You'll go from a Martha to a Mary that is just sitting at Jesus' feet, gleaning everything that she possibly could. I love that John records this account. It's so powerful, so significant. John could not resist recording another lover of Jesus here. So what can we learn from Luke and John's Gospels? While we can quickly come to the conclusion that details matter to God, therefore every detail of our life matters to God. Details matter. And so for those of you that think that God isn't attentive to your cries or to the details of your life, nothing could be further, further from the truth, and the way that Luke records the gospel speaks that about Jesus. Details matter to God. Another truth that we could glean from Luke and John's gospel is that we cannot seek the living among the dead. Seek the living among the living. He is a living God. Seek him, and you'll always find life. But quit expecting life to come from some dead thing. Maybe it's a thing of your past that you're going back to. I think it's significant that after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples didn't know what to do, and so they went back to fishing. And Jesus appears on the shore, tells them to cast their net on the other side. They'd been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. But as soon as they did what God asked them to, what Jesus, the risen Lord, asked them to do, they produced a huge harvest of fish. Many times we don't know what to do and we go back to what we have always known or what we once knew. I would encourage you to get a word from the Lord in a moment like that and quit going back to and quit repeating and quit looking for there to be some kind of significance in a past that God has set you free from. Quit looking for life to stem from that which is dead. Colossians chapter 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ Jesus. So many times we're going to dead things expecting life to come from them. There are no, answer, there are no answers for you in those crystals, in that zodiac, in that horoscope. If you want life, then you're going to seek that which is living. And Jesus is the only one who is alive forevermore. It's amazing how many people will try to find life in dead things, maybe even praying prayers to dead saints. Jesus is alive. He's alive forevermore. And when you seek him, you seek life. When you seek him, you seek that which is alive. One last truth that I want to draw out that all four Gospels state, and I think it's very significant for you and I as believers today. Notice that they came to the empty tomb on the first day of the week. This is significant. Matthew 28, 1, Mark 16, 2, Luke 24, 1, John 20, verse 1. It's very significant that they came to the empty tomb on the first day of the week. In the Jewish calendar, the first day of the week was Sunday, and it was a work day. And I'm going to show you how significant it was that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, that from that moment on, they began to meet on the first day of the week. I've even heard it said that out of a devotion to God, 
they, the early believers, wanted to even tithe by giving to God the first day of the work week. How powerful is that? But let me draw your attention to some scriptures that maybe you haven't thought about. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it's powerful to note that God began his work of creation on the first day of the week. You might not have thought about that. And this is very, very significant because the resurrection marks a new creation for all who believe, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, old things are passed away. All things are become new. So when you and I invited Jesus into our heart, we were born again. We were resurrected from the dead. We were dead in sin and now we're alive in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You were resurrected. And so it's very significant that creation took place on the first day of the week and the resurrection occurred on the first day of the week. Christians began meeting on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7. Instructions with the early church about finances included the very first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Notice the significance of the first day of the week. Why isn't it Saturday? Isn't Saturday the Sabbath? Yeah, but Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And everything that we believe as Christians revolves around Christ. It doesn't revolve around a Sabbath. It doesn't revolve around the feasts. It revolves around Jesus Christ. And the further you get away from it revolving around Jesus Christ, the less it resembles Christianity. Christianity is about Christ. The gospel is about Christ. The day that we meet is about Christ. The resurrection, everything screams Christ, the power of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. From the day that we meet, to you name it, everything that we believe Christmas, Easter, it is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And the further you get away from Jesus, no matter how slight, the less it resembles Christianity and all that those that were martyred on Jesus' behalf, all that they died to give their lives for, all that they were witnesses of, it's all about Jesus. And think about it, church, for a bunch of Jews to begin meeting on the first day of the week, unprecedented unprecedented. I believe that we are coming into a day and an age that's unprecedented. What we're going through right now, we're online having Easter Sunday service together. How crazy is that? But I believe we're coming into unprecedented times. And we will either retreat looking for life in that which is dead, or we will discern the day and the age that we live in and we will be used by God, clearly discerning his voice. I believe we have a choice to make. Are we going to worship Jesus, or are we going to worship things that revolve around Jesus, resemble Jesus? You know, what if we had the actual grave clothes that were folded in the empty tomb? What if we had a chunk of the actual cross 
People would stream from all over the world to see it. We'd have it behind glass. Maybe we'd bring it out on a tray and people can touch it and think maybe they'd get healed. It's not about relics. It's about the resurrected Christ. The life is in Jesus Christ. It's not in anything they had to do with him. From the shroud of Turin to, to any, any relic of a saint that's passed, it's all about Jesus Christ. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. It's all about Jesus, all about Jesus. And Scripture, Old Testament points to, New Testament confirms it's all about Jesus Christ. Start to finish, it's all about Jesus Christ. The Gospels, all about Jesus Christ. And all I know, all I know, I had been raised in the church for years, all I know is that from the moment I prayed a prayer and invited Jesus into my heart and named him my Lord and Savior, surrendered my life to him, declaring Jesus Christ as Lord, I was forever changed, and it is so impossible for me to go back to a life that I once knew. In fact, when I look upon it, it's almost like looking upon somebody else's life. Could I do those things? Yeah, I just don't, I don't want to. It's not who I am anymore. I'm so changed. And every one of you that have named the name of Jesus, you are so changed, so changed. And right now you're watching. You may have been raised in the church and you're thinking, man, none of that stuff ever really happened. I've never experienced God like that. You've gone to church for years and years and never known any life of God working in and through you. Have you ever cried out to him? I mean, maybe you prayed foxhole prayers in a, in a, in a moment of desperation. You, you, you've, you've cried out to Jesus. I mean, have you ever from a believing heart invited Jesus to come in to your life, into your heart? See, you can do this. I'm not asking you to change the church that you attend. I'm asking you to allow God to change the life that you're living. And I want to pray with you right now, Easter Sunday, 2020, most unusual Easter we'll probably ever know. But I think about the early church and how it began. It flourished underground. And no matter what goes down, no matter what the rulings from the government are, I'll guarantee you this, the church of Jesus Christ will flourish. Always has, always will. And the more that it's oppressed, the more that it grows. So be certain of this. Just as Jesus would not be bound, his resurrected body would not be bound, the bride of Christ will not be bound. In fact, one book that I've been reading on this Paul Beasley Murray states in his book, The Message of the Resurrection, that the church, by definition, is the community of the resurrection. I love that. The church, by definition, is the community of the resurrection. For the believer in Jesus, those that have named the name of Jesus, Easter Sunday is every Sunday. Shoot, Easter is every day. Every day. And I know that this is a significant day. It's a significant moment. I get all that. I really, really do. But the significance isn't in the day any more than it was a Sabbath day. The significance is in Jesus Christ. The significance is in the Savior. And we meet and we worship on Sunday. 
because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week. And if we ever had a service on Saturday, it's because the church would so grow that we would have no other option. But make no mistake, Sunday, the first day of the week, it's when they all came and they, they had seen the empty tomb. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Creation took place on the first day of the week. They began to meet Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week. Instructions about finances were on the first day of the week set some money aside. Everything in the early church revolved around the first day of the week because everything revolved around Jesus Christ who rose on the first day of the week. And I just want to ask this. You know, you're watching. It's Easter Sunday. Please don't tune out. Give me, give me a couple minutes. That's all I ask. And we'll soon pray and we'll be finished here and you can go about your Easter Sunday as you plan. Have you invited Jesus into your heart? I mean, literally prayed a prayer. That's what changed me. For 20 years, I had been raised. I mean, when my mom gave birth to me while she was delivering me, the bells were tolling because Pope John the 23rd died. And I was named after Pope John the 23rd who died June 3rd, 1963. I was baptized by a bishop as an infant. Quite a promising start. But the greatest change in my life happened when I named the name of Jesus. Not that I was named after a pope or baptized by a bishop, but that I invited Jesus into my heart. And I went from smoking weed and snorting coke and popping speed so I could stay up late and do all that stuff, drinking very heavily. Went from my 20th birthday where I'm passing joints out for free at the front door and I've got three kegs. Six months later, inviting Jesus into my heart forever changed my 21st birthday where if you were raised like I was raised, your 21st, you were, you were going to bring it in with some heavy partying. I sat home by myself, full tank of gas, keys in my car, my coat on. I had nowhere to go. And I remember saying, you know, Lord, is, is this what it's going to be like now, being a Christian? Is, is this what it's going to be like? And yet, some of the greatest moments and the greatest times that I've ever known have happened since I've been a Christian. My worst day as a Christian was better than any of the best days that I had when I wasn't. I don't go to bed at night anymore fearful. I'm not puking blood anymore because of ulcers. I'm not smoking weed on a daily basis because I don't want to deal with reality anymore. Scriptures like Matthew 5, verse 6 say that they that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. If you look up that word filled, it means filled to overflowing. When you've invited Jesus into your heart, you don't need anything else. He's so filled your life. You can know God in a way like that. And maybe you didn't know that. You can know that. That's why I'm not afraid to share 
my story because I'm a life that's changed. And it's the only reason I'm standing here today. It's the only reason why we are living in Ionia and have raised our sons here. It's the only reason because I'm a life that's changed. Lisa is a life that's changed. Our sons are lives that have been changed. And you can be too. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've been seeking the living among the dead and you need to come back and seek the living God. Maybe you were raised all around church and there was a comfort in the tradition and in the significance, but that significance never seemed to be in you. And it can. And so I want to pray with you. And I want to pray a prayer very similar to the one that I prayed. It's very similar to the one that I prayed with my dad two months before he passed. And it is the prayer that we pray more often than not at the end of our church services, giving people an opportunity to return to the Lord if they've been away or to invite him into their heart if they've never, if they've never done that. So would you pray with me? Would you just repeat this very simple prayer? And here's all that's required for one to become a Christian because going to church doesn't make anybody a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a 63 split window Corvette. It's a decision, a willful decision you make from your heart. And the Bible says two things are required and they're simple things that you believe in your heart that the Father raised Jesus from the dead and that you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. That's it. And he'll no longer be that person's God, this person's God, Pastor John's God, Lisa's God. He'll be your God. He'll be your Lord. He'll be your Savior. Would you please pray with me? Just pray this very simple prayer. Please repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for me. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Father, help me to forgive myself. Father, help me to forgive anyone and everyone that has ever hurt me. Jesus, come into my heart. Make it your home. My life is yours. And on this Easter Sunday, 2020, your resurrection life is now mine. Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. A couple things that I would encourage you to do. You prayed You've come back. God's restoring you back to himself again. To the best of your ability, catch as many online services as you can. You're hungrier now for truth, the things of God, than you've ever been before. Begin reading your Bibles. Good place to start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe the Gospel of John, one of the best places to start. Begin praying and crying out to God. Maybe before you even open up your Bible, Lord, help me understand these things that I'm about to read. And God will open your eyes 
and remove a veil that has been there now that you've invited Jesus in your heart and you will understand scripture in a way that you never could. I never could understand the Bible. I reverenced it. I knew that it was holy, knew that it was sacred, but I couldn't grasp it. When I asked Jesus into my heart, it exploded and came to life. And I found that Hebrews chapter four is so accurate. Scripture is living, it's active, it's powerful. The Bible is alive, but it's only alive to those who believe. Begin reading, begin praying, and until we can gather together in church, I miss you guys more than ever. Oh my gosh, it's killing us not to be with you. And until we can gather together again, please catch online services. And can I just ask this? Post encouraging messages. Um, no, no conspiracy theory stuff. There are a lot of new believers out there. People are coming to Christ. Don't get them all caught up in maybe the depth of prophecy. If you're mature enough to handle that, awesome. But feed them some good meat and bones out there. Post stuff that a young believer could look at and really glean a lot from. You hear my heart as a pastor? because we got a lot of new believers. And Easter Sunday, many, many people asked Jesus into their heart, and I believe many have today. And so if you're going to post good videos out there, maybe for a choice few, save the heavy prophetic stuff. And I believe in prophecy. I believe in the prophetic today. But I wouldn't give that to a new believer in Christ because I've seen many a young believer veer off and get caught up in stuff they don't need to get caught up in. But man, post good, solid, encouraging messages. Amen? Amen. I want to close in prayer. So glad that you joined us on Easter Sunday. Pray that your Easter might be the most unusual you've ever known, but I pray it's the most blessed you've ever known. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, thank you. Thank you that we do not serve a Jesus that's still impaled on a cross, that's still contained in a tomb. We serve a Jesus of an empty cross and an empty tomb. We serve the resurrected Christ who was dead and is alive forevermore. So, Father, we come to you as you instruct us to pray to you, Father, and we ask everything today, this Easter Sunday especially, in the mighty, the matchless, the powerful, the name above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. See you this Wednesday. Have an amazing Easter. God bless.